Welcome back to Unwarp Reality, a podcast designed to help us see not through, but around the looking glass. Our aim is to help unpack the manipulation and bias prevalent in mainstream media reporting. If you're curious for more background, please take a listen to episode one, where we discuss in more details the motivation and goals for the project. You can find it on our Substack or YouTube channels under Unwarp Reality. That's U-N-W-A-R-P Reality. I'm Liz, a cybersecurity specialist, cultural anthropologist, and world traveler, calling in once again from New York City. Hi, and I'm Becca, psychologist, leadership coach, and social critic still coming to you from Chicago. It's great to have you with us again. If you want to know a little bit more about who we are, please remember you can check out the bio page on our Substack. Now, in previous episodes, we looked at how the media tries to influence us to dislike certain people or ideas, in part by influencing how much coverage different topics get. Today, what we're going to do is focus in on one article and break down the disinformation intended to warp your understanding of the issue. Yes, and you will all be surprised that we are completely leaving the New York Times alone today. So the article we're going to look at, I know, I know. Uh, The article we're going to look at comes from Vox, um, which has a known left-leaning skew, despite the fact that they present themselves as an objective purveyor of of facts. Man, I can't talk today. (laughs) Just the facts, ma'am. So here's their pitch to garner financial contributions that they pop up at the end of their reporting. They say, millions turn to Vox to educate themselves, their family, and their friends about what's happening in the world around them. So this pitch sounds wholly above board, but it's actually information because more often than not, they're not trying only to educate you, but to indoctrinate you. Yeah, exactly. And when you look at the articles, you understand that they are decidedly not there to simply tell us what's happening. The explanations are designed to tell us how to interpret what's happening. The manipulation in their messaging makes the type of analysis that we're doing here even more important. Now, the article that we will be reviewing today is about UPenn law professor Amy Wax and the university's attempt to revoke her tenure. Right. And we've got the link to the article available in the episode references page. So if you haven't seen it, we recommend that you give it a read. Um, If you've been with us for a while, maybe even give it a read before listening to the episode and see how much bias you can pick out on your own. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. So it's always good to practice identifying the spin and skew in articles so that your ability to effectively see the warping of reality comes more naturally. Yeah, right. Practice makes perfect, as they say. Um, So let's start with the title, I guess. Um, Here it is. This pen professor has been offending minorities for years. Will tenure save her? The University of Pennsylvania's Amy Wax problem explained. Okay, so clearly from the title, we're dealing with the cardinal sin, offense to minorities, and thus we must be convinced that this woman is bad, evil, and deserves to be gotten rid of. We are told that she is a problem, not that one side of the argument suggests that she might be violating her obligations as faculty. Instead, the explanation is not about the issue, that issue, or why some people might see her as a problem. According to the title, this is not up for dispute. She is a problem, and we will learn. Yeah, exactly. So we can read further to find out why. I also... Uh, just noticed that <laughs> you, uh, so she's offending minorities, but 
is she also offending non-minorities? That that doesn't seem to be um, in that title. But anyway, uh, digression. So, all right, let's uh, dive into the article and look more closely at what they tell us um, and then how they present that information. So to begin, um, the main issue is that UPenn is trying to revoke Professor Wax's tenure because of, according to Vox, racist and sexist statements that were made publicly and privately. Okay, so it seems like we're going to have some hearsay about her statements, like we encountered in The Guardian's reporting on DeSantis, which we looked at in a previous episode. What a meanie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Okay. And I mean, I don't think we've talked here about the lack of distinction between public and private lives these days. Um, Maybe we can talk about it on a later episode, but you wrote a couple articles about that issue, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I touch on it actually a lot. As a psychologist, I find this lack of distinction between public and private very problematic. Okay. Um, Well, great that you're illuminating that. So um, for the reader, or excuse me, the listeners, if you're interested in reading more, you can check out Becca's articles on her Substack. It's called Psych Skeptics, or um, some are also available on Spiked. But back to Vox for the minute, let's look at what's presented in this particular article. So first, they spell out what appears to be the evidence in the case against Professor Wax. Um, And so We begin with an article that she co-wrote with another law professor in 2017. Okay, so it appears that this issue is, what, five, six years old? Okay, anyway, what is the offensive article? Um, So apparently she and her co-author suggested that adherence to and reinforcement of middle-class values, such as commitment to family, education, and hard work, would promote better outcomes than cultural non-assimilation or acting anti-white, which the authors do explicitly connect with some some working class whites, inner city blacks and Hispanic immigrants. And again, to be clear, they don't say that these attitudes or behaviors hold for all members of these groups. They specifically reference some in their piece. Okay, like maybe I'm a bit biased myself, but I actually fail to see what is offensive about that. I guess it might be that there's the suggestion that something someone is doing might not be optimal and the target of criticism is at least in part some members of minority groups. But it seems like an opinion and one that might have evidence to support it. For example, if the outcome of interest is, say, social or financial success. Yeah, but actually the Vox piece isn't even about that article. So they just give it as background because they want us to know that she wrote this piece that was offensive to some people and they're not really trying to discuss what is being said they're just letting us know that you know this article is offensive okay now let's that's your first piece of evidence let's let's move on okay got it so i don't get to evaluate the evidence it's just deemed to be offensive is there any other evidence that they present against her Yeah. So the next thing they bring up, um, they mentioned statements that she made about her experience with black students in her classes, not being high performers. Um, They bring up her ideas about immigration that suggest that America would be better with um, allowing more white immigrants versus non-white immigrants. And um, also her statements about how Asians are 
generally more deferential to authority in ways that might be harmful to American politics. Okay, so with some of that, I could see how people might find it offensive, but I can also see how these are arguments that might be reasoned and made in the context of intellectual debate, which presumably is what professors are supposed to do. And little side note, I should just mention that I've been a college professor for over 18 years. Okay, so what you're telling us now is that you're old. Yeah, okay, but so are you. Uh, okay, all right, anyway, move on, move on. Back back to the point. So universities used to be seen as places where ideas, some of which are controversial, could be discussed, but not really anymore. So the author then switches tack and then gives this additional evidence to reinforce the problem. So it's a list of purportedly racist statements that Professor Wax either made to students or in the presence of coworkers. Many of which she denies, I'm sure. Yeah, it says that in the article. Okay, so I have a hard time with this case, but we're here to talk about the article, not my opinion. So let's do that. Now, after laying out what they clearly think is a solid case against her, the article goes on to discuss the issue of academic freedom and tenure, which are really at the heart of the issue. So I just want to read a couple of paragraphs to demonstrate how clearly your reality is being warped by their, quote, explanation. This from the article. Her case has become a cause celeb among conservatives who view her as a victim of hypocritical woke administrators. A recent Washington Free Beacon story concedes Wax is an intellectual bomb thrower, but warns that similar tactics, if successful, are likely to be employed against other tenured dissidents. Many outlets have similarly framed Wax's case as a preview of an oncoming suppression of conservative dissidents at universities. Wax is one professor at one law school, but her case is a bizarre and frustrating sub subplot in the larger story of higher education and free speech. A narrative where, on the one hand, broad protections for teachers and professors are gutted in conservative states, but where, on the other, those same free speech principles being targeted are invoked to shield one of the right's more distinguished and offensive voices. Okay, wait a minute. So let me get this straight. Vox is claiming that universities, which are uncontroversially left-leaning, are actually beacons aiming to protect free speech only for conservatives. I mean, that's just patently false. There are absolutely um, some examples of professors who've been targeted for woke comments, but by and large, it's conservative, or I mean, frankly, at this point, just those who aren't far enough to the left who are called out by students or administrators and sanctioned. In fact, in many cases, non-liberal voices aren't even around to begin with. I mean, what what's the current ratio of conservative versus liberal professors? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, I mean, the exact numbers aren't available, but if, if you look at the data, there's estimates between a 12 to one up to a 17 to one skew in favor of liberal professors. So it's very lopsided. So looking at the article, one of the things we can also highlight is word choice, which we've focused on in the past. First, they use the term gutted in describing current legislation being brought in a few states. And as background to this hyperbolic language, link as reference their own article, mostly discussing DeSantis legislation in Florida, which we touched on in episode three. Thus, nothing is being gutted, really. 
Secondly, they explicitly connect conservative ideas with offensive, as if those two things go hand in hand. And they describe the Amy Wax situation as a, quote, bizarre and frustrating subplot. It's not at all a subplot. It is explicitly about issues of free speech and higher education. I'm not sure what is bizarre about an attack on a conservative voice or frustrating unless you have already decided that she should lose her job. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, there's a lot of judgment in that quote, uh, explanation. So firing Wax after granting her tenure could set a precedent for other universities to fire professors based on controversial positions. And this undermines the whole point of tenure. It's specifically about supporting academic freedom to protect an unfiltered exchange of ideas. And there is no guarantee that no one will ever be offended by those ideas. So to a certain extent, it's acknowledged in the article. But then it goes on to say that Wax's case notwithstanding, this is a quote, Wax's case notwithstanding, a broad weakening of tenure protections would almost certainly harm more left-wing professors than right, given the political makeup of university faculty and the number of universities in Republican-led states. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, it's hard to take that even seriously because it's just patently false. Yes, professors are more left-leaning, but left-leaning perspectives are almost never censored. For example, a professor at Carnegie Mellon was allowed to say that the Queen of England should suffer excruciating pain on her deathbed without penalty. But a Georgetown law professor was not allowed to say without consequence that it might be better to promote judges based on merit and not gender or skin color, which to most people probably sounds like a reasonable proposition. The persecution typically only happens to those out of lockstep with the woke administration. In fact, research shows that cancellation is much more a tactic used by the left than the right, and revoking tenure is a method to cancel a dissenting voice. Right. And then Vox doubles down on this misinformation by connecting this case with some completely irrelevant issues. So they claim, again, a quote, as it happens, the assault on academic freedom in higher ed is proceeding apace, spearheaded by Republican governments in red states. So, again, this is not true. The assault on academic freedom is, in fact, mostly coming from the left. Think about all those requirements to adhere to certain DEI principles before being hired or as part of the submissions process for academic con- conferences. So in these cases, certain ideas are being proactively screened out before they can even be considered. I, I for one, don't think that all academic work relates to social justice initiatives and, and, and nor should it. Right, exactly. I mean, the spin in this is really astounding. Think about the word choice, apace, suggesting that the pro-conservative changes are coming swiftly and without resistance, which we know is not true. Okay, so again, back to the issue. As you mentioned, tenure is designed to offer protection for ideas, not for negative or abusive conduct directed at particular students. And this is what UPenn is supposedly claiming that they're coming after Wax for statements that she made to coworkers or students. This is highlighted in the article where they mention an advocate of hers who says, quote, she has no right, none, to demean or abuse specific individuals in her professional orbit. Saying affirmative action leads to the admission of unqualified students is one thing. Telling a specific student that she was unqualified is another. 
Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. She absolutely should not demean anyone. However, now we, here we are in a case where we're expected to believe in individual statements about their interaction with Professor Wax. So again, as we've talked about before, this type of evidence is notoriously unreliable, but it absolutely could have happened. However, if that is in fact the real issue, then none of Wax's academic or written work should be presented in this case as evidence since it's irrelevant to her personal interactions. Right. That is precisely correct. And that is actually the argument being put forth by Wax's legal defense. So the article mentions that FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, who is defending Wax, argue, quote, because the dean has complained about so many public statements, the classroom conduct complaints are a pretext for her punishment. Again, a factual part of the explanation, but it's followed immediately by spin, because in the very next sentence, they claim, quote, this logic seems to lead to unappealing conclusions, though. If a professor who has made sexist public statements later sexually harassed a student, would administrator criticism of the former mean he couldn't be punished for the latter? I mean, of course not. That's some serious spin. It's like Vox just keeps hammering home the point that her controversial publications tell us she's a bad person. Therefore, we must believe that these personal attacks took place. However, you know, someone making sexist statements and then sexually harassing a student is obviously not a given. And nor is it a given that someone putting out academic positions that are unfavorable with a certain subset of society necessarily leads to their making racist comments to students. It's like Vox sets up a logical fallacy and then tells us we should just believe it. Yeah, I mean, and again, this is not an explanation. This is not educating us about what's happening. This is presenting a very biased version of events, mixing fact with interpretation, and commingling content to create an obscured and biased understanding of the events. Right, and this is a problem, and in particular, when a source claims to be objective and educational. So as we've said before, and we'll repeat here again, we are not interested in altering your views. In this case, we're not interested in changing your mind about Amy Wax, this particular case, or issues of tenure. But our goal is to demonstrate the way that the presentation of information, what's included, what's left out, how it's framed, is designed to warp your perception while disguising itself as being objective. So this Vox article is not showing respect to us as consumers of information, and it's being very dishonest. Absolutely. And as we've mentioned before, it's, of course, almost impossible to expect all reporting to be completely free of bias. People are the lens through which information is filtered and reported. However, we can and should expect a more balanced view in particular, when publications claim to be explanatory, but then largely provide us with opinion. In a wash in this climate of dishonesty, we must all work harder to inculcate a mindset of incredulity to take responsibility for learning the facts. Yeah, and we can absolutely do that for ourselves, but it does take work, um, which is why we're here. <laughs> so, all right, looks like we're out of time. And um, we definitely didn't have a chance to go through the whole article. So please take, take some time to read it um, yourself and see what else you can find in there. Um, and just, again, thank you so much for uh, listening 
And we really hope you'll join us next time as we continue on this journey to unwarp reality. Yeah, thank you so much. And please send comments, questions, or episode ideas to our email at unwarpreality at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, bye. Bye. Bye.